Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. And we're here the week of May 23rd, 2023 to May 26th, 2023. Hey, it's Saturday. It's a day late. We are a day late. First time. And it's my fault completely. Oh. Well, actually, there was some weather on the ground in Denver, and everybody got shut down, and I ended up getting back here at Forces out of your control. Forces. What do they call that? Insurance clauses. Act of God? Yeah, I know, but isn't there a funny Latin name? Who knows? Oh, we, that was such an opportunity I know. for us to have I given have a little bit of Latin wisdom. Pre-showed that. Anyway, oh. um, we're here. We're going to be looking at some uh, cases, surprisingly few cases this week uh, for the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, expression from the higher courts in Nebraska. So we only got four cases, well, five cases, but we're not going to do the disciplinary case, right? Yeah, we're skipping that one. All right, so let's do, uh, well, let's see. Anything else going on? I don't think so. Um, I don't know. No. Everybody's out of school now. Out of school. Baseball, softball time of the year. People traveling. Yeah. Few sports. I don't know. Anything fun? Memorial Day. It looks like the weather's going to hold out. So a lot of people, you're probably listening to this, you know, maybe on a lake or... Mowing your lawn. Yeah, mowing the lawn, enjoying the sunshine. Get that done. There's some active moisture. That's always good. That is good. Yeah, we're getting some rain. And it's there's some flooding though, right? I don't know. I've been yeah. Gone. There was flooding in Southwest Nebraska, which you never yeah. hear of. Um, I want to say like Dundee County, Stratton, which How, that area never Palisade, Palisade yeah, Juanita, yeah. yeah, that. My mom's from Palisade, so um, she let me know. Right, I think away. they got their like total rainfall basically for the entire summer, and in, in that one gap, they were getting like ten inches at a time. It was like wow. The Frenchman Valley is gonna. I uh, hope everybody's okay. Yes. Um, okay, here we go. The uh, ex parte summary. Uh, you want to go first with yours? Uh, yes. Uh, State v. Daily commitment issues. Okay, and we're skipping over the disciplinary case. And the third case is Adams Land and Cattle uh, versus basically the John Woodson et al. It's the brand committee. And it's statutory interpretation, legislative acquiescence. Are we ready? I think so. All right, let's get started with Nebraska Supreme Court, State v. Daly. All Carson. right, so kicking it off with State v. Daly, this is an appeal from the uh, District Court of Dawes County, which is on appeal from the County Court of Dawes County. And the crux of this case is that a sh- the sheriff of Dawes County, Carl Daly, um, was charged with official misconduct for failing to receive a uh, prisoner into the Dawes County Jail. And the issue here is that there was a bad individual who was alleged to have committed some pretty serious crimes in South Dakota who was arrested in Shadron. And around that period of time, Sheriff Daly, who was very frustrated with some of the actions of the Nebraska State Patrol and Shadron Police Department, said that he would not be accepting Sierra into his jail for medical reasons and that he should be uh, sent to Scott's Bluff. Sierra is the name of the individual who did the bad stuff. Yes, the bad guy. Uh, And so the the crux of what happens here is that Sheriff Daly, and uh, you know I, the the case essentially says that uh, Daly uh, had had an interaction with the Nebraska State Patrol, had an interaction with the dispatch center, and the Nebraska State Patrol dispatch center advised the state trooper who had Sierra in his vehicle, vehicle Trooper DeSotko, uh, that Sheriff Daly would not be accepting him, and so the 
prisoner, Sierra, was taken to Scott's Bluff. Um, and a long story short, uh, someone with the Nebraska State Patrol, someone with the state of Nebraska, got frustrated by Daly's actions and uh, charged him with official misconduct for failing to re- receive a lawfully committed prisoner. And so the crux of this case comes down a lot to uh, statutory interpretation, what the definition of uh, commitment was, and uh, was the, if there was evidence uh, to demonstrate that Daly had violated the statute and therefore committed official misconduct. And some interesting things with the definition of what commitment is and going through uh, a lot of uh, statutory interpretation and eventually even looking at a um, a dictionary from the 1800s, which you don't uh, see very often because this was a statute that is uh, so old that it had to go all the way back to that point in time to see what commitment meant. And the Nebraska Supreme Court eventually found that lawfully committed uh, does include uh, arrests, not just um, arrests based on court orders or mitimuses. And so they found that Uh, Sierra here was lawfully committed, and therefore uh, there was a violation of the statute by Daly, and um, there's a couple other uh, issues that they went through uh, regarding the uh, jail standards, which govern jails, and and persuasive authority that Daly cited for why he did not receive um, the prisoner, and then sufficiency of the evidence, but eventually found that uh, there was no error from the district court of the county court and affirmed. Uh, I will note uh, that there was a dissent by Chief Judge. Justice Havikin, um, joined by a district court judge who was also sitting on uh, the panel at that point in time, essentially discussing that uh, in the Chief Justice's opinion, he found that uh, in order for Daly to violate uh, the statute and commit official misconduct, uh, Sierra needed to be presented uh, to the jail. And because um, in the Chief Justice's opinion, you have to strictly construe criminal statutes, um, it should have required Um, Sierra to be presented, or at least uh, there to have been some sort of strong overt act by uh, Sheriff Daly in order to avoid um, having Trooper DeSotco bring Sierra to be booked in. And so uh, the Chief Justice dissented along with um, District District Court Judge uh, Pankinen. All right. So that is, I got Adams County Land, uh, Adams Land and Cattle, LLC doing business as Adams Land and Cattle Company versus John Widdowson et al. Now, those people are part of the brand committee, which are uh, created under the Nebraska Livestock Brand Act. So if you have a case, this is a cow case, so it should be yours, Carson, but I, I think... That's true. <laughs> you stole my cow case. We haven't had a cow case in so long. Where is the moo? I forgot the moo. Somebody I, put the I, moo, we lost the moo in there. Lost the oh. moo. You know, mentally moo right now is, mm-hmm. is what you need. You need to hear it moo off in the distance uh, from the feedlot, which is, uh, you know, growing up every Tuesday night, you get a whiff of uh, the feedlot. Smells like money. It smells like money is what everybody says, and then that's what is going on in this case, but I'm taking over your case because there was a disciplinary case in the middle here. If you want to take a look at that, take a look at that one. But we're dealing with this one. Nebraska Livestock Brand Act. Um, it has to do with the interpretation of branding in Nebraska and who needs to inspect um, brands and cattle brands when they come in and out of subject, uh, you know, subject areas uh, into feedlots or being transferred from other people. Supposed to, it was created a long time ago, and this is the first time it's ever been interpreted. Uh, and this, it's supposed to stop folks from stealing cattle because 
I don't know if you've read some history, but that was a big problem back in the day. Big issue. Big issue. So right now, um, they they created the Nebraska Livestock Brand Act, created this brand committee, and it says that cattle subject to inspection uh, within the area from sunup to sundown. So you got to have your cattle from sunup to sundown, and they're going to be inspected. Now, there's an exception here, uh, except feedlots. And they have some, you know, uh, in the in the act, it says feedlots don't have to do that. They can just keep their records of everybody that goes in and out, and they're going to be audited. And so they can get livestock from all over North America any time of day. Doesn't really matter, and they can go here. Now, Adams Land and Cattle uh, had two feedlots in Broken Bow and one in Bertrand. And what they did, and and, and in this case, and this is basically the entire issue of this case, is they had a backgrounding lot where you, uh, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong here because I'm not a cattle guy, but uh, they they fatten up the cattle. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so they fatten up the cattle back in these backgrounding lots. So they take them from the backgrounding lots before they get to the feed lot. So there's a difference there between the backgrounding lot and then the feed lot. And in the backgrounding lot for Adams Land and Cattle, they were putting them in the backgrounding lot and then transferring them to the feed lot without really keeping records of that transfer. There was transfers into the backgrounding lot, but not a subsequent record from the backgrounding lot into the feed lot. Now, there was an agreement back in 2009 exempting Adams Landing cattle, specifically Adams Landing cattle, like the, the, these, these folks, from having to have that inspection done and keeping those records during that time when you're going from the backgrounding lot to the other side. Uh, to the feedlot and there was a bunch of you know uh, memorandums and and stuff between the brand committee and adams land and cattle so they in 2018 the brand committee said hey you're the only one that gets this we've been doing it since 2009 you're the only one that gets this we're going to stop doing this um so you know um you're going to have to start keeping records. Well, Adams Land and Cattle filed a declaratory judgment action back then. The brand committee backed down and dismissed and didn't do anything and kept by the old agreement until 2020. When in 2020, the branding committee then said, hey, you know, we really need to stop this. You're the only one that gets this special treatment and we're going to have to stop it. And uh, I don't know, you know, it doesn't matter what agreement we had in the past. uh, We're going to have to move forward under this statute. So, um, the feedlot files again for a declaratory judgment. They go through, they get a temporary injunction stopping the brain committee from forcing them to keep records from all the backgrounding lot to the feedlot transfers. And then they have a trial and the trial court get, grants a permanent injunction that said that the brain committee had been operating that way for a decade. That's the way they did it. It's, uh, you know, the legislative acquiescence is the phrase of statutory interpretation and administrative procedure uh, interpretation that they used here to say that because they've been operating this way for the effort, uh, forever, well, since 2009, and the legislature has been in and out of session and it's been open, you know, basically that they knew that they could have, um, that they were doing things this way and didn't do anything to change it that the legislature acquiesced to the way that the uh, brain committee was doing business with Adams Lane and Cattle. Now, after that permanent injunction is entered, the brand committee appeals, and we go up to the Nebraska Supreme Court, who takes it up, and they reverse, and they say that the statute says inspect. It doesn't really matter what the uh, brand committee is doing with agreements. The statute says inspect. The the brand committee doesn't have more authority than is granted to it by the legislature. And it it makes specific 
you know, exemption here that the Adams Land and Cattle Company was an outlier. This was the only one out of, I think, of 100 feedlots where this special exemption existed. So they reversed the permanent injunction. They're going to have to go back. I assume Adams Land and Cattle is going to have to do the inspections now from the backgrounding lot into the feedlot or keep those records uh, as they move forward. And this was a case for that. So if you have anything in the Nebraska Livestock Brand Act area, this is the first time that statute's ever been interpreted. If you have something regarding legislative acquiescence, you know, it seems like one of those things that sometimes it applies and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I don't know really whether there's a standard here. I'm not uh, fully, you know, cognizant of the entire history of legislative acquiescence, but it seems here that the legislature was in and out. And I guess it, it kind of depends on how open and notorious uh, the, uh, legisl- the administrative agency is with their interpretation of the statute. So that is Adams Land and Cattle Company. It was reversed and it went down to the trial court. Uh, for I think it was well let me see I think it was dismissed yeah dismissed the amended complaint so there you go vacated the injunction okay I think that's it for the Nebraska Supreme Court it is Nebraska Court of Appeals Court of Appeals we start off with a published opinion state versus Samuels and this is an appeal from uh, the District Court of Lancaster County it is an appeal from a uh, jury trial conviction of uh, possession of a firearm by a prohibited person and possession of marijuana over a pound. And the crux of the issue here is uh, whether or not the search and seizure of this evidence was in violation of the uh, Fourth Amendment and whether or not it was um, extended beyond the scope of the traffic violation. So what happens here is that Samuels violates uh, multiple rules of the road uh, per se drives on the yellow line uh, was going almost 10 miles over uh, the speed limit and is driving uh, a rental vehicle which isn't a crime but uh, was part of the officer's suspicion so samuels gets pulled over the officer puts samuels in uh, his vehicle and uh, briefly questions him and then the interesting part is that uh, he essentially says i'm going to uh, give you a warning and you are good to go and uh, at that point in time um, he then continues to question samuels and eventually asks him if he'll consent to a search and searches his vehicle finds a gun and finds the marijuana and so uh, the crux of the issue is that samuels contends that the initial stop was improperly extended beyond the scope of the traffic violation because the officer did not have a reasonable suspicion to extend the stop beyond the purpose of the traffic violation and that a subsequent consent to search was not voluntary and so the first issue is if the stop was um, extended and so Uh, Generally, the U.S. Constitution says that if uh, you have been stopped in a police um, encounter and the uh, reason for the initial stop has been completed, then the officer cannot extend uh, that stop. And here uh, Samuels is saying, I was stopped, uh, I was given a warning, and then um, it was unreasonably extended. Uh, Here, however, the Court of Appeals says uh, that the investigation after the stop was reasonably related in scope to the circumstances, and that even though he said he was good to go, um, he continued to ask him questions, but um, he was still in the vehicle, and it didn't indicate that the uh, traffic stop therefore had de-escalated and um, stopped even though the officer had said he was good to go. So here they, they're they not drawing a line. They're not saying that good to go and writing the warning was the end of the stop. They were saying, okay, he's still um, in the uh, vehicle, so it's not an unconstitutional extension. 
then we come to if it was um, reasonable and they found and the interesting piece here is one of the pieces of evidence that the officer had for uh, extending the stop was that he could see a uh, blood vessel pumping uh, heavily in this individual's neck and so that was one of the reasons that uh, the stop was um, extended and so that was part of the reasonable articulable suspicion that the motorist was involved in a criminal activity and the court of appeals mm-hmm. found that looking at the totality of the circumstances uh, that was um, reasonable and articulable and therefore uh, was not an issue um, going beyond the scope of that investigation uh, dealt with a couple of motions in lemonade which were related to this evidence um, and then there was an issue with the uh, sentencing which it was again within as we see all these within the uh, statutory range all the factors appropriate factors were considered and that was affirmed so i guess the value of this case again anytime you get searches and seizures anytime you get motions in lemonade it's always helpful to look at facts it's always helpful to go and grab those pieces of law that uh, invariably you will probably use in um, your brief if you are uh, either the state defending against a motion in lemonade or if you are um, the moving party trying to uh, exclude all of that evidence you know go grab those blurts of uh, you know state v rodriguez and the relevant cases uh, to use in your own work just to be clear <laughs> so the reasonable articulable suspicion uh, was a pumping vein in the dude's Forehead or? That was one of the main ones in his neck. In his neck. Yeah. Got to be on the eye. Got to be on the on the lookout for that. <laughs> okay. I uh, guess I had State v. Moon. Uh, this is a plea-based conviction. It's a whopping five pages from the Rest Court of Appeals. Uh, Mr. Moon was convicted by a plea agreement to attempted sexual assault. Uh, it was part of a sting operation online thing. Uh, he was sentenced to 8 to 14 years. Um he alleges on appeal that his sentence was excessive and that he received ineffective assistance of counsel. The 8 to 14 years with, was within the statutory range, so that uh, was the sentence was affirmed, and they found that the record was insufficient. There wasn't uh, any sort of uh, record regarding the plea hearing that was submitted to the Court of Appeals. So the record was insufficient to review the ineffective assistance of counsel claim, and it was therefore affirmed. Is that it? You know, I believe it's it. Wow. And uh, that's where we're at today. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying whatever is left of the weekend when you get to this. And, you know, I hope you're having a great time. That's how we close out May. This is a good way to... Yeah, it is the end of May, isn't it? End of it? May. End of June? It's summer. Is it summer? Yeah. Memorial Day, it's summer. Oh, yeah, but you were summer. It's last week. I was summer last week, yeah. But for everybody, I think it's summer now. Break out those propane tanks. (laughs) Father's Day is summer for me. Let's do that. I'll I'll be the late guy. I I like that one. It doesn't get, you know, it's still a little springy. That's true. There's still some storms. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, this is Point Two Law Review uh, for another week. We'll see you next week. We have brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Offices in Kearney, Holdridge, and Minden. Go back to episode one if you want to uh, look, listen to the disclaimer. Uh, thank you to all our recent uh, li- uh, listeners in Lincoln. We got a huge bump in Lincoln this week. Yeah, we appreciate all of you. Thank you. Yeah, tell a friend. Appreciate it. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everybody.
start a custody war, my lawyer stay down. She never got a chance to hear my side of the story, we was divided. She had fish fries and cookouts for my child birthday, I ain't invited, despite it. I show her the utmost respect when I fall through. All you, you would defend that lady when I call you. Yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. 